Okay, if we're going to recreate this old pic of us that mom posted, we've got to get the outfits right. Well, for some reason, I can't find gauchos with a matching shrug anywhere. Let me try on my Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. I just use the S Pen to circle the outfit in the post, and bam, five sites to buy it from right here. Shut up! How did you... You shut it. Mom's coming. Cute outfit. Get me one. <laughs> circle it, find it. With the new Galaxy S24 Ultra and circle the search with Google. Upgrade now at Samsung.com. Internet connection required. Results may vary based on visuals. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. Introducing Batiste Sweat Activated and Touch Activated Dry Shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste dry shampoo online or in store at your nearest retailer. What's going on, everybody? I'm Ra. And I'm Tess. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Love is a powerful thing. But cheating after I've stood beside you in all your mess? That is something that this week's murderess was not standing for. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Streaming October 6th on Paramount Plus. First place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land. But come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Rated R. Streaming only on Paramount Plus. Alrighty, let's go ahead and get into our players. This week we have Lee Morgan, who is a famous jazz musician. Uh, he's a trumpeteer and Helen's common law husband. And then we have Helen Morgan, this week's murderess. Helen was born in 1926 in rural Brunswick County in North Carolina. Her family was from a farm near Cape Fear River. And she had to work the farm as farm kids do. She knew from an early age that farm life was not for her at all. When she was 13 years old, she had her first child, and by 14, she had her second. Who the father of her children are is a mystery, and many assumed that both children were conceived out of coercion. She was not ready to really have children. She actually said she never wanted children. She never even had the chance to want children. She just, like, was pregnant. So she was like, I didn't raise my kids because I was a kid so my grandma raised them and at 15 I left because I didn't want to be there and she went to Wilmington North Carolina 
Um, when she was 17 years old, Helen met her first husband, and she married him after only knowing him a week. I just want to emphasize that it was a week. Go ahead. What? Her husband was 39 years old, a bootlegger, and not much else is known about their relationship. But we do know that by the time she was 19, her husband died by a drowning. This was probably very hard for her. You know, she's young. She lost her husband and all of that stuff. And that's that's like her only family that she's fucking with at this point. It's not like she, she's with her kids or at home with her mom. So she goes, her husband, her late husband, was from New York. So she goes to New York to visit his family after the funeral and stuff. And she was supposed to stay for two weeks. And I guess she just loved the city because she never came back. I mean, if I had the opportunity to go to New York and fall in love with the city and had the means to not come back, I probably would as well. I mean, especially because she didn't want the country life, and New York is the complete opposite of country life. That's a whole lot of city. It is It is a whole lot of city. It is. It's a whole... Well, New York is a whole nother woman, okay? So, in New York, she found herself an apartment on 53rd Street, and she got a job like at an answering service where they do the pushing and the pulling of the cords, connecting your phone call from one to another she was known at her job as being really nice she people loved her personality because she was a good talker and people that are good talkers they usually fit in in new york uh, she also was a great dresser like stylish she would wear these like lined suits that would get her get her a lot of attention and she really looked good throughout the day and at night she would be out on the town and she frequented at the jazz nightclubs that was kind of her scene she was the type of person that didn't really want to work for anyone but you know she had her job because she had to once she started being on the jazz scene she realized that within jazz is a lot of drugs and she wasn't a drug user so she kind of got in and she was kind of like a mule she was transporting drugs from one state to another because the drug dealers could trust her she wasn't going to use it because she wasn't an addict and she wasn't using it herself all of this time she was still immersed in the jazz nightlife and her spot on 53rd street was just like known as the spot for musicians and other artists to come after their sets and they would drink they would listen to records and she would be cooking for everybody like everybody was like look she knew how to cook if we were like oh we need a little snacky snack she was like it's okay i'll get you something then she would start whipping up something crazy in the kitchen so even though she was now a new yorker she was still a southerner at heart like you know Niggas down south, they're going to make sure you fit. They're going to make sure you got food on your stomach, okay? You can't show up to nobody's house and not have a plate. Exactly. It's rude to come over to my house and you... And I don't offer you some food. Right. Like, like, did you offer them something to eat? Somebody can come and be working on the fidget right? Did you get? Did you offer him something to drink? Did you see if he want anything? Because it's rude not no, to. No, nigga, he here to work. And if somebody comes to you and they ask for a snack and you only give them, like, a piece of bread, like, come on now. So... She was the type of person that was really known to be kind, and if you were hungry, she would open, especially musicians. Although she was kind to those around her, she was naturally street smart, and folks knew that she had a slick tongue, and you could not play her like no fool. She was just the type that, you know, she wouldn't take no shit. She had an interview, and she was quoted saying, I'm not one of the nicest persons either. I would not sit here and tell you I was nice because I'm not. I was one who would cut you. I was sharp. Yeah, and I had to be. I had to be. I was sharp. And I, I looked out for me. And, like, when she say... I feel when she be like, I'll cut you and I'll shark. I feel like she mean more so with her mouth. You know what I mean? Like, i cut you with this tongue and i give you a lash and real quick on my words. Boy, try me. Right. Like, she wasn't the type of person you could just push over. I relate. <laughs> that whole, I'm not the nicest person. You know, niggas love me. 
but I'm not going to describe myself as nice. I don't think, I think I'm a kind person, and I think there's a difference between nice and kind. What's the difference? Well, I think that kind more has to do with the heart. I have a good heart, and I will give from my heart, but being nice to you because for no reason, especially if you don't deserve it, no. (laughs) I'll give you the shirt off my back and still let you go about your business. I don't know. I feel you, I feel you. One night, Helen's friend, Benny Green, he was a jazz player, knocked on her door. Helen goes to the door, and standing behind him is once-famed musician Lee Morgan. He can hardly stand due to the New York winters. The first thing she asked him was, where is your coat? And he tells her he pawned it. He pawned his coat because at this moment, Lee Morgan was at rock bottom because of his addiction to heroin. She's told that he is a trumpeter, and she looks at him and says, well, where's your instrument? And he tells her he pawned that too. <laughs> She's like, you don't have an instrument? All right. And she goes and she marches him down to the pawn shop to buy back his trumpet and his coat. That's very nice of her. She said, it's too cold out here to be out here without a coat. Like, it's zero degrees and you out here shivering. Shivering. But, so, uh, Lee Morgan was born, Edward Lee Morgan. He was born July 10th, 1983. He was a famed trumpeteer, and he was founded by Dizzy Gillespie and joined his big band when he was 18 years old. From there, his career started to pretty much skyrocket in the jazz musician world. Using drugs was already extremely common, so although he was known for being such a great musician... Was it in the jazz musician world, or was it in the musician world? Well, it was in the musician world, but one of the bands that he was in, literally the head of the band, was a functioning addict. It was like, uh, it was almost like a rite of passage for you to try drugs or try heroin or try whatever drugs they were doing at the time. And some people were able to do it all the time because some people can be functioning addicts. But Lee Morgan was the type of person that that drug really took a hold of him. And it was to the point where he was making money because he was gigging, but he was starting to not show up. He was starting to lose the money faster than he was making it because you're always, with heroin, you're always chasing that high. That first high, you're always chasing it, so you're spending your money to get it. It was to the point where he showed up to a gig in slippers. You know, this is jazz. You wear your hard-bottom shoes. He showed up in slippers, and everybody's like, where are your shoes? And he's like... I had to pawn him so I could get some drugs. Everybody said, come on, quit playing. He's a fire slippers you don't see. Boy, I'm about and, to skate and, on across the stage. And the guy was like, he looking at us. He looking at us like we wrong. Like we like, like we wrong for questioning him about wearing slippers he on his said, feet. He's trying to convince us to change into slippers too. Like, no, sir. Yo, this man. He pawned his shoes for drugs. He's giving me heavy David Ruffin vibes. You know, they was talking about he ain't making these gigs. You know, when David, he was like, I sell you tickets to my soul. <laughs> he was trying to he was trying to uh, get tickets to the show away. Mm-hmm. He was like, these tickets for yesterday. <laughs> he said, well, I guess I ain't going to be on that stage now. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what he's giving. Yeah, one time, one time he, when he was really down, he kind of OD'd and he fell on the radiator at his house and burned half of his scalp off like there's pictures with him like a bandage around his head you almost know he said the reason he woke up was because he smelled burning flesh that's the reason he woke up is because he smelled and that was not his burning- rock bottom no it wasn't and that burning flesh was literally him him his so, head you'll notice that like after the mid 60s 
the early, early, early to mid sixties, he he started combing his hair different because of this burn spot on his head. So really started to hit bottom. And he actually was trying to get rehab. He was trying to get a little bit of help, but he wasn't very successful at it. But one time that he was sober, he was in a writing session and they were trying to come up with their next album, their next big album. And he kind of went away to the bathroom for a little while. And everybody was like, where the fuck is Lee? Because if Lee's gone for too long, that probably means that he's, you know, shooting up, doing something he ain't got no business. But Lee comes back after like a while in the bathroom and he wrote on toilet paper. So he goes to the restroom. He writes on toilet paper this song called The Swindler. And that ends up being the name of the album. And it's this really awesome jazz piece that you guys will put up somewhere for you guys to listen to. (laughs) Um, You said you guys will put up. We'll put it up. They'll put it up probably before we get to it because that usually is how that happens because I get tired. So things started looking up for him, but once again, the heroin addiction was just getting to him. And so finally, it was to the point where he was selling his trumpet, so he couldn't make any more music. Not that he, he was, was getting any gigs because he wasn't showing up. For he them. wasn't showing up for the gigs. He was now sleeping outside of the theaters that he once was headlining. So Oh, don't ever let me fall from grace that far, Lord. Listen. So, this was around the time that he was found and sent to Helen's doorstep, where she really saw him for who he was. Like, he had bright, like metal in his mouth because he had his teeth knocked out earlier, and his metal in his mouth should have been taken out. But he never went to the appointment because, of course, that money's going to be spent on drugs. So, she took him in. Uh, she got his coat. She got his horn back. I'm sure she gave him a really good hot meal. And then she's... A good bath. Cleaned him up. I'm sure she gave him a really good bath. Like, she really took him in. And she then finds a drug rehab program for him to get into. And in the movie um, that's on Netflix, it's called I Call Him Morgan. She's like, I can never figure out anything that could make you in the dead of wintertime, zero weather, take off your coat and sell it. Because it's cold in New York. And I don't like the cold. I do not like the cold. I do not like... I love this season, though, because I'm wrapped up in sweatpants and hoodies. And, and will I, be. And I'm so comfortable that way. And warm. And it's so comfortable that way. So, um, she then gets him into a methadone clinic. So, methadone is... I'm just going to read it straight from drugs.com because that's the kind of clearest way if you don't know what it is. Methadone is an opioid medication. An opioid is sometimes called a narcotic. Methadone reduces withdrawal symptoms in people addicted to heroin and other narcotic drugs without causing the high associated with the drug addiction. Methadone is used as a pain reliever and as part of drug addiction detoxification and maintenance programs. It is available only from a certified pharmacy. Warnings! You should not use methadone if you have severe asthma or breathing problems or blockage in your stomach or intestines. I just don't understand the treating drug addiction with more drugs. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Because that shit is so vicious trying to come off of that shit that you don't even have to. Fuck craving the heroin. You'll take the fucking shit just to make that pain stop. You are throwing up. You got the shakes. You're cold. You're hot. It is a Like, imagine having the flu and all you got to do is hit up real quick and get it over with. People be having a flu to be like, I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah, they do. But, I mean, you. it's a part of that withdrawal symptom. But also, like, you remember... Um, 
we kind of briefly touched about this on the Asada Shakur episode. Like, there are other ways of helping those symptoms. Like, the Black Panther Party created the acupuncture clinic for heroin-addicted folk, you know? So there are more holistic ways to get... nobody want to put holistic medicine into play because... Because it doesn't make enough money for the government. That's why. Right. So he starts to put the heroin down. He's playing a trumpet again. And Helen was there to support him through it all, you know? Anything he needed, she was there every step of the way. And they ended up moving into their own apartment together on the Grand Concourse in the Bronx. Not only that, but, you know, their relationship kind of turned a little more than friends, you know? Got a little spicy. And the two became inseparable. Uh, Lee was doing much better. And people wanted to book him for shows again because he was that nigga, you know? Right. Um, you know, he was looking like he was getting on his way back. He's back to dressing better. My mo- my boy was swaggy. Listen, now he was swaggy before this, but you know, that heroin made him get distracted. But like, he was back on his game. They was like, you know, all we wanted to do in jazz is look good. We was, we, we had that Ivy League style. We was fresh to death. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, they, they was like about, it was real it was about making sure that hair kept cut, exactly. making sure the shoes were shine. That's why when he pulled up with them slippers, they was like, sir. What the you doing? We ain't getting no one. It was about, the, it was about oppressing the ladies. Playing right. The music you know what I'm saying? You got to make them want you. And don't nobody want you in your busted slippers. Exactly. So... The people that were eyeing him were surprised based off of everything he had gone through and how he was able to turn his life around. You know, so from here, Helen starts managing his career and she completely ran the show. She handled the contracts, the bookings, making sure the entire band got paid. She was over all of that. Jerry Schultz, the owner of the club Slugs, said that Helen was his everything, his manager, his nurse, his old lady, his mama. (laughs) And... And then on Crimes of Passion podcast, she said that Helen even carried his trumpet case for him. Uh, Okay, you you know, Tessie, you and I have played sports. Yeah, we've done that. And I know how your mom is, and I know how my mom is, but you you know how our parents would never, ever, ever carry our bags for us? I think, like, maybe if I was late and had to run on the field, because, you know, I'm late to everything. Okay, that's that's the only excuse. excuse. Um... (laughs) But you know how if you play with, like, the white kids and the, their parents are carrying their soccer bags and their tennis bags? Or anybody with a dad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what we were missing. Um. <laughs> it's time to talk about our trauma. <laughs> um, no. Um, but it, it reminded me of that, like, you carrying this man's trumpet case? He can't, like, real, he can't carry his trumpet case? Okay, girl. <sighs> You know, she wanted to cater to him. You know, it probably wasn't even a here, hold my thing. It was like, I'm going to do this for you. You don't work hard. And I'm going to make you feel like you that nigga, you know? So, during this time, she was kind of just like an overprotective parent, right? She was in love, and everything that she did revolved around him. She was sitting in his rehearsals, you know, sound check, she there. You know, we booking gigs, she there. We playing the gig, she there. Like she's everywhere. She's everywhere. Then you go home to her, like, they're living the same life at this point. I heard that she would not leave the house during the day to run errands. That she would wait for him to fall asleep for a nap. Like, real, real codependent stuff. Like, maybe she felt like she couldn't leave him alone. Right, like... Maybe she felt like she was keeping him sober. And, you know, you'd be like... I'm his sponsor. I have to do everything for him. Not even like a sponsor. You, you know, 
I mean, maybe you don't. But you know, like people be like feeling so responsible for a person that it kind of takes over you. That's when they be like in real toxic relationships. And it's like, you're not doing, you're not in this relationship for you anymore. At this point, your whole purpose is to support this person and get them through. You, you might know a little bit about that. I, was gonna say, I do know a little bit about <laughs> Actually, that. You might. <laughs> and it's a hard place for the other person to be in. And they had such a big, big age difference between them. Like Helen was 13 years older than Lee. Mm-hmm. So not only was he her lover or they were lovers, you know, but she probably did feel like I have to take care of him because that baby don't know no better. Right. I know what I was like in this place. And, you know, I'm just knowing better and being older and why is it like, let me just, let me just show this boy. I mean, and she's also a woman. I mean, like, I and know. And they're just nurturing I'm stuff. in a couple of groups where, like, women are like, they're like, do any of y'all even, do any of y'all ever sit down and wonder how the fuck y'all's husband survived without us? Like, what married women, they're just like, because, I mean, this man is an idiot. I mean, How did he survive before he met me? And I'm like, that's... Just listening to stories, I'd be like, is your nigga stupid? Are you a dumb person? Like, No, is that what it's we're just doing? men are stupid. Men are not bright. They're uh, not. Even the brightest of them, they need... Because I can't, I can't do stupid. <laughs> they need somebody else there. They're not even stupid, just not bright. This like, is not a man-hating podcast. It's <laughs> not. I just be really having questions. Be like, and when that didn't work, then what? I did have date. I did date somebody that was just getting to the next step. <laughs> like common of God damn. You could tell that they had never actually had to do something for themselves, and that oh. is it. Is hard to feel like you are the person that has to do everything for them because they can't. Like gosh, I'm gonna have to raise both of us. I see. Okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, thank you. Oh yeah, and then when you're codependent, like they were going every everywhere together, and I know about this part in particular. <laughs> I know about this part because Lee couldn't go anywhere without her. How lonely could that be? Like, you're not allowed to see your friends without her. You can't go to the club without her. You can't, every time you come home, they were like, he never stayed out all night. Never. He went to the, he went to his gigs. Helen was there. She took him home. Like, you lose those connections those with your friends and things like that. It gets, it gets lonely. <laughs> in a codependent relationship like it does oh i can't do that plus plus me shit like if it's always gonna be the two of you i'll just pass and y'all can just have each other <laughs> you can hit me on another life or something what are you talking about you said everywhere they go where is it yeah everywhere was- you want to go they go no yeah this is actually a no plus one type of thing <laughs> actually Gabby has been like you're not allowed to bring anybody I've else. I've had plenty of people be like, and who are you bringing? No one. <laughs> you are, I am inviting you. Just you. But yeah, despite all of this shit, things are still looking up for him, right? He's back to selling out clubs. Um, She's keeping him in line, keeping him clean. You know, that, that career is back. He's back coming to church and everything. It's going good. Okay, so then he started to switch his style up a little bit, right? So he was initially known for hard bop, which is like soul and R&B-infused jazz. But by the time the 1970s rolled around, he was playing a flugelhorn to give him like a richer sound. And it's kind of larger than a trumpet, so I guess more sexier vibe. Yeah, it gives that deeper, like, sexy horn. Yeah, that kind of horn, you know? It gives a good, it gives a good horn. <laughs> 
Horns are hard, yo. So I I learned that the secret to a good horn player is having a good tongue. I ain't never dated no horn player, but y'all let, I'm sure that somebody could let us know. I tried to join band in middle school, and that nigga assigned me with the baritone. (laughs) I hated that shit. I thought it was disgusting. I didn't like dealing with the spit valve, especially off of a rented instrument. What is this? But it was hard. Like, getting your cheeks to blow up. My cheeks burned. I hate it. I hate it. Shout out to you horn players, because it's for the birds. But, you know... Despite all of this, there was still one thing pissing off Lee Morgan, and it was that jazz music was not getting the respect that it deserved. Black musicians were not booking the big venues for jazz, and jazz is black music, you know? Elvis is on TV booking out the biggest arenas, and they are up there singing black music. Because, in case y'all didn't know, Elvis freshly stole his music from niggas. I mean, Hound Dog, the list goes on, all that is stolen. All this shit, when y'all be like, oh, rock and roll is white people music. Rock and roll is invented by black people. Again, yes. Jazz invented by black people. We are music. What are you talking about? But literally, the drum is a heartbeat. Come on now. Come on now. We are music. Everywhere we go, you cannot take an instrument away from us. They will sit there and they will make their body the instrument, you know, beatboxing and shit. Like, So he also noticed that the late night music shows weren't interviewing black musicians or having black musicians featured on their late night shows so on august 27 1970 he and some other musicians crashed the stage of the merv griffin show merv was interviewing an actor from across the pond and he was like oh it's so hard to find jazz clubs in new york it's so hard because there's not a lot of jazz musicians here in new york you know and a that's a lie and because that's a lie whistles started blowing from the audience they started blowing like whistles from the audience and then all of these jazz musicians lee morgan leading them out went to the stage and started playing their music on stage like as a form of protest like they bum rushed the stage it's a live recording uh the house band is trying to drown them out but of course they can't because all of these musicians are literally having a big huge jam session on the in the middle of the stage while it is happening lee morgan also runs to the back and talks to the producers and you know it's not just a protest like we're here to actually plead our case and tell you what's up and tells them like black music is so influential he says that he talks he talks to newspapers about how important jazz is to american history and he says that it is the only true american music you know he he also states that the government especially an american government in the arts they put a lot of money to preserve the classics like even beethoven bach the what we would consider those classics that came from the east came from the england's and the london's the the I classics. Can't, I can't wait to hear our uh, British listeners critique. <laughs> I actually just got a letter from somebody in London saying, "Can we do London cases?" And I'm like, "Yes." And Mariah is going to do all their stories in a British accent. I will. He says the government is putting money into the projects that co- that are preserving classical music and the art of classical music, but the government isn't putting in that same type of money to preserve jazz and the art that is jazz. And jazz is classic music for Black people, and which I believe is true. I'm going to go ahead and put a stamp on that statement, but. That was something that... That jazz is for black people? That jazz is classic music for black people. I feel that, right? Classic music with a little... uh, That's us! With a little vibe! Like, and so I'm just going to go ahead and say that that is the truth because we already know that it is. When he said that, I was like, yes! Like, duh, right? And the music on television is not reflecting the music in the streets. It's not reflecting the music that people want to listen to. It's not reflecting the music that is speaking to black people. So... 
that protest happens. Helen also gets involved in this uh, movement as well. And it kind of reminds me of the, it kind of reminds me of the black theater movement, especially after the pandemic. And a lot of black artists were like, Hey, our stories are not being told. Like we're just tired of doing trauma porn. We want to do pieces that are meaningful plays written by black playwrights, um, directors that are black when there's black. So artists really fighting for their artistic integrity is really what it is within black art. Which we have been doing since the beginning, the beginning of, of time. <laughs> like, did you watch Different World? Yes. But did you see? Okay, did you see the episode on the mam- the Mammy episode? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> they did, did you listen look- to my podcast about the Mammy episodes. I think so. Did you? Probably. If it was early, I did. <laughs> we're being honest no but on a different world they did a whole mammy episode and it was so good because everybody feels so torn about mammy you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like put her up don't do it. i feel like it's split kind of how people are about nigga like don't say nigga that's what they used to define us and it's like no we're taking it back and it was split like that on the episode and going through the history of it and it's definitely important mm-hmm. it's definitely what got us here but it's like the fact that we have to go through these degrading roles in order to be able to play the roles or to see us on tv as how we really are as opposed to how you think we are yeah and that's also because it's... That's why I love TV now. Like but You you know when you see a movie and you be like, oh, a white person wrote this for a black... Mm-hmm. And they really thought they were going in when they were mm-hmm. when they put that pen to paper. So, like, how do we break from that and redefine ourselves by ourselves, you know? And I think that's, that's what Lee Morgan wanted for jazz music. And I think that's what a lot of, especially black artists, want because it is our music, our story, our culture. There you go. But back to our story. So... Lee and Helen had been together for years at this point. And even though they had never gotten officially married, uh, Helen and Lee kind of referred to Helen as his wife, as his common law wife. It was kind of like, all right, we've been together for forever and a day. So we ain't saw no papers. We ain't jumped no broom. We ain't go to no courthouse. But you're mine and I'm yours. And I'm going by Mrs. Mrs. Lee Morgan. Like in the papers, it says <laughs> Mrs. Lee Morgan. And I was like, you better put claims to him. Period. Okay. <laughs> so she was like, you know, I'm your wife and that's that. Now, Lee would be lying if he said that Helen was not the reason that his career was back on track to start him, that he was destined for. Like, she really put him right back on the track. But he was ready to kind of take his career back into his own hands. He was kind of ready to have that freedom from Helen. He, you know how you with somebody for a season and it's not like, a reason? <laughs> no, there's always a reason for the season, okay? There's always a reason for this. But you know how, like, and I think this is a hard part of a lot of relationships moving from one to another, especially when you're dating. Like, there, you learn stuff from people. Like, a lot of my relationships that didn't work out, like, I still learned, I learned something, something from, from everybody. I, I even I if it's something small, <laughs> like, like it's how always, to make spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, girl, because that spaghetti re- recipe hits. I'm Shout you. out to Redacted Number Two. <laughs> <laughs> that recipe hits. But, like, I'm telling you, you learn something, like, even if it's something about yourself, something that you can take using for it. Like, dating is fun and all, but I feel like each time that I connect with somebody new, I learn something new about myself because people treat you in different ways. Yeah. But he was his life was back on track, and Helen really helped him with that. But now he wanted to take control back of his life. Like, he felt like he could finally stand on his own two feet, and he wanted to do that. He didn't want to be up under Helen all the time and have her up under him. But honestly, that's in a healthy relationship. That's what you would want, is for you to get back to being you, right? Yeah, but when he got back to himself, he didn't want her no more. Mm. See, this is where the problem comes in. You see what I'm saying? Because how you gonna forget the niggas that got you there? Oh, that's what I'm 
So he started just like leaving the house and not coming back. And remember, like we said, his friends were like, look, he always went home. Helen made sure of it. So Helen calls around. It's like, where's Lee? Ain't seen him. He didn't come home. And then Lee calls his buddy back. He's like, yeah, I know Helen calling everybody. I done found me a little shorty or whatever. <laughs> and we got this connection. We bobbing like I ain't we never bobbed. going so, on. Doo-doo, doo-doo. We both know that it's wrong. <laughs> Anyways, so he finds... So he's got this little shorty on the side. And then he starts going out a little bit more often. So he really starts, you know... Wearing less and going out more, having a good time, meeting new women, flirting with women. And something that they mentioned in that I Am Morgan, it was he never really got to experience his sexuality because he was in a band. Then he was addicted to drugs. The drugs kind of took over his life for a I very feel like long that time. In a band part was his time where he experienced his sexuality and it goes for the rest of them. I mean, yeah, but then he. You didn't have experience. Because he's not an ugly nigga. Oh, no. He is a handsome guy. But you also... And he was that nigga by the age of 19? He was, Are you telling me he wasn't hitting on He was... But he had such a big gap of not really finding love. He was probably fucking... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, and so he his first exploring. love... <laughs> his first love was Helen. And he, exploring sexually and exploring and, like, real trying to actually have concrete relationships are two Listen, totally different things. exploring sexually and exploring love are two different things. And you said exploring sexually. <laughs> Look, that's but most of his time that he was supposed to, his prime, he was addicted to drugs, so I doubt he was getting any. My personal opinion, not rooted in fact, <laughs> not everybody. In fact. Okay, so he started spending the night at these women's house to avoid coming home to Helen because, you know, they were living together. And he wanted to do his own thing, see other women. Um, and Helen, of course knew where he was playing at, knew where he was scheduled to be because she was the one that signed the contracts, booked the gigs, did everything. So he was kind of like trying to sneak out from somebody that knew his whole schedule. Um, He was being really shady. How you gonna hide when I got your location? (laughs) He was being really shady and speaking, chatting to other women. And she, of course, didn't like this. Um, Some people were saying that, oh, Helen was addicted to him. And... um, it gets like felt, that in codependent like, relationships. It felt like uh, she owed him something. I think that she did feel that way. And it, it comes in those... Co- it's like, damn, I've when been somebody, here for all of this. When and somebody you- seems to like drop the, everything that they have and everything they have revolves around you and you're the source of their happiness and you're the source of their joy and they're, at her point, at this point, her work revolves around him, everything. That is a lot of pressure. Because like I've been in a relationship where somebody was like, you're my, you're, you're my source of happiness. And I'm like, I cannot be that. I can't. Okay, let's clarify that. No. <laughs> you don't want to be their only source of happiness. You should, but you be, I, be should en- I should enhance the joy you already have. If on the bad days you need an extra pick-me-up, okay, but if you need to pick-me-up every single day, if I am your source of happiness, if I am your source of joy every single day, your soul source, What get? where do I get to be filled up? Where yeah. do I get to have bad days? When do you pour into me? Exactly. So it was kind of one of those things where... Everything she did was pouring into her, pouring into him. And he was fulfilling that to her because he appreciated everything she was doing. He, they were having a relationship. They were loving on each other. But when he started wanting to explore outside of her, she wasn't with that. He was gone. So a lot of other people were saying addictive, whatever. And then some people were like, listen, it was an open secret. But the least that he owed her was some respect. And I feel like that is at least like you running around here. I'm sitting at home. How are you going to have an open secret and respect? 
the open secret is already disrespectful. So that's what people are saying that you, the least that you owed her was some respect. Okay. You know, because my guy, you may not want to be with me. But the least you can do is not have me waiting up all night for you. Like, where are you? You could communicate that with me. You out here in somebody else's bed. The least you can do is let me know. Like, let me. Why am I sitting here at home thinking something's wrong with me? Actually, no. (laughs) The least you can do is be better at it. So where I don't know. I wish you would fucking call me and be like, tell me you don't want to be with me. No, no, because that's not what she wanted to hear. That's not what she wanted to hear. If you gonna be sneaking around, you better not fucking get caught. Kind of like a, a Lorenzen Wright and Cher Wright Robinson situation. Yes. Uh. You don't need to fucking get caught. That's how you be respectful cheating. I shouldn't know. Your attention should... cheating? If you're gonna go this route, you talking about the least he could have do was have some respect? I mean, the, the respect would be you telling me... To leave me her. Would, would be to leave me, not to cheat on me. There is no but respectful if... cheating. The respect is to leave me. You were talking about... I'd rather the... cry and <laughs> I didn't get cheated on than be like, damn, I am currently being cheated on right... I am sitting here with the clown face. I'd rather be in the dark than somebody calling me talking about something. Yeah, I'm not coming home tonight because I'm with Keisha, So... I'd rather you break up with me and do whatever the fuck you want to do. That's where it needs to be. But was she gonna let him break up with her? Probably not. So she, he did Curtis like- was supposed to love me. <laughs> I turned my back and find myself out on the line. You could have warned me, but, but that, that would have been, been too kind. So now we all know he was messing around in these streets, but one woman in particular who had his heart was Miss Lena, honey. And Helen knew all of this, you know. She started, you know, she started off kind of giving him the cold shoulder. Like, all right, I guess I'm not going to show up for your shows, you know. You see you see how it feels when I pull back. Oh, I would hate that. Like, that's the way to make me feel like you hate me. You didn't come to my show. Really? You didn't come to my show and you were supposed to. That's uh, California. She Remember, she missed that flight when she was supposed to come down to one of my shows. That's how she got blocked. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because he... You're supposed to see me perform, but I guess he didn't care. That's, that's when I thing. care. That's the th- right, that's what I'm saying. You have to care for that, right? That's when I care. Because it's not that he was waiting up at her shows. She assigned herself at his shows. You know what I mean? It's not like he invited and it's like, baby, come see me. She was like, mm, I'm here. <laughs> you know? So. She booked the show. She booked the damn show. So, I mean. I guess she was hoping that he would miss her. Of course, it did not really go that way. He did not say much about her not being there. And then one night, she saw him in front of an apartment building. And here he is kissing another girl goodnight. And when he walks in, he comes home. She's like, oh, no, you didn't. And he's like, oh, no, I didn't. And she was like, yes, you did. And he was like, nah, baby, that wasn't me. And she was like, nigga, I know. You think I, you think I don't know you in these streets? Kissing on the sofa. It wasn't, wasn't me. me. <laughs> like, straight up, he was lying, gaslighting the fuck out of her. Like, What you're not going to do is call me a liar in my face. Come on now. I saw you. <laughs> So, this one night, him and his new girl, Lena, they're getting ready to go to the club. It's February 19th, 1975. It's been 10 years since Lee showed up on Helen's doorstep, right? So, he's playing this evening at the club called Slugs. And Helen, of course, knew where the show was that night because she booked it. (laughs) So, he's driving little Miss Lena Sherrod around in her car. He's trying to head to his show. But... It's February in New York, and it's a full-on blizzard starting up, right? Mm-hmm. So the snow is sticking, ice is all over the road, and as they're driving the slugs, and next thing you know, he gets a car accident, he totals her car. Uh, the way I rolled my eyes so hard, because you totaled my car? Not you totaled your car, you totaled my car. 
buy me a new one. The fuck? I just don't know what the other answer is. There's no other answers. So both of them were okay. They like survived the car accident. It's just the car is fucked, right? So they keep on keeping on to the club. I didn't call for a tow truck just yet because they crashed just because of ice. You know what I'm saying? It's It's a blizzard. Nobody's coming to tow that car out. Right. So before Lee set, you know, he's nervous and he's shaking up before the accident, you know. That shit really shake your nerves. Like, you can be perfectly fine walk away. There's not a scratch or a bump. And you're like, I almost died. I mean, it, it kind of reminded me. Do you remember when... My first accident. Your first accident when I was in the car with yes. all the... And Tazzy was just like, I could have killed you guys! <laughs> and it really was... I hit it on Mariah's side. I felt so... It was, I got hit on Mariah's side. And right. I felt so bad. And we were all okay. The car wasn't totaled. But Tazzy was like, I could have killed you! Because I mean, I it was, was a car. Full, we had just graduated from high school, and it was a car full of like all of us about to go to college. And Cassie was like, "I almost killed you, uh, ruined your lives." Like, come on, girl. Sick, sick. But those, it really, it really messes with you. So yeah, he he's all shaking up. He's throwing up before he gets on stage. Like that shit really threw him off, you know. Okay, so he goes on stage to perform or whatever, and lena she's not even like in in the show the place is packed already in a blizzard which why new yorkers but she's like my car just got totaled i'm at the door waiting on a cab like i don't have time so like i saw my little boo perform i'm happy to be here let's time to go <laughs> like she's like i'm sitting at the door waiting for the cab to come in she said next thing you know doors fly open helen walks in helen looks over she see lee at the bar talking to some whole other chick like so you just fucked up my car. Here's your wife. And you at the bar talking to who? This nigga's out of control. Else, so <laughs> This nigga's out of control, right? So Helen busts through the doors. I'm here for the draw. Me and her. Her or, cut of the money. Or his cut of the money. Whoever's cut of the money, but she here to collect, okay? And, like, it was just a whole scene. Like, everybody saw her walk in, right? So she go in, and she sees Lee. And she sees him at the bar flirting with this woman, right? Mm-hmm. So she pulls his friend to the side. She's like, this, I don't like. You need to tell her to go. This, shut that shit down right now. Man, if you got respect for the wife, you have to know who's the home team, right? And if True. that's his wife, you got to keep it copacetic in the wife. Not saying that he got to go and be like, hey, he's over there cheating. Just, hey, bro, clean, clean it up. She's here, okay? Clean I mean, I, that that is the most respectful thing that a, a friend could do. Is right. be like, hey, bro. Your man, your woman is here. She's at least in the building. Can we like while she's here? Maybe not. And we all know <clears throat> you're making it awkward for the rest of us. <laughs> so he goes and he tries to tell Lee, you know, clean it up. And Lee says, "No, I'm gonna do what I want." And um, Helen, she's sick of it. She's sick of the disrespect, you know. And while back. Helen, she already took her coat off at this point. And she rolls up. She So she rolls up to me like, Hoppo, who this woman? And he's like, don't worry about it. Not even you know who she is. He, don't worry about it. And she's like, oh, hell no. She starts yelling at him. The girl's like, just tell her. Like, tell her you're not together. Like, da 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 He's like, we, he starts yelling at her, screaming in her face. We are not together. We are not married. I don't want you. Da-da-da-da-da. She slaps him. You call, cuz. She slaps him because what you're not going to do is yell at me in front of everybody that knows and that we have been together. And play me like for- we ain't been down for years. Ten years at that. Ten years. Eleven years. I sacrifice. Leave me at a drop of a dime. 
wasted my years by your side. Yo. So then after this, after she slaps him, he kind of like shoves her out of the bar. Shoves her out of the bar. She doesn't have her coat, but she has her purse on him. And in her purse, she has that gun. He tells the bouncer, hey, don't let her back in this club or whatever. First of all, psh, she flashes her gun at that bouncer. The bouncer steps aside. <laughs> and she comes in and she puts the gun back in her purse. She goes up to him and she pulls the gun out. He lunges for her with both hands, tries to stop her and like disarm her for the gun. Then she did one shot into his chest. And Lee was down. Now, if you listen to Sisters Who Kill podcast, you should already know the answer to this question. What do we always say to do as soon as you start getting interrogated? That's right. Ask for a lawyer. And when you're looking for the right lawyer, you want to make sure that you have a good lawyer, not just a good lawyer. You want the best lawyer. And that's where this week's sponsor comes in. This week's episode is brought to you by attorney Gloria L. Smith. Now, attorney Gloria Smith has been a criminal defense attorney for more than 25 years. She is experienced and she is committed. She started out in Cincinnati and now she's in Columbus, Ohio. Listen, she is a lawyer that knows that the system is messed up. Like we tell you on the podcast every single week, but she is committed to making a change within the system. Don't you want a lawyer like that on your side? I know that I do. You can call her, you can email her, you can text her if you need her. She has an office in Columbus and in Westerville. So if you are in a jam, this is the woman that you want to call. You can email her at glsmithlaw at icloud.com and her phone number and all of her contact information will be in the description box below. Now, back to the show. Now, what happens afterwards depends on who you want to listen to. According to Helen, immediately she felt horrible. She was holding him, crying uncontrollably. She was like, I can't believe it. I'm so sorry. And apparently he whispered to her, I know you didn't mean to do it. I hope he did. (laughs) You hope he did? I hope he did, man. I hope that's true. And she was just listening to her talk about it. She was like, I was shocked. I couldn't believe what I She couldn't believe done. she did it. It was definitely a crime of passion, like heightened emotion. And But other people that were there were like, they heard her say, Morgan, how come you made me shoot you? <laughs> Which also was like, how come, how come you made me shoot you? Damn it, nigga. Yes, because it did have to be this way if you would have just acted right. Or if you would have just told me it's over, if you would have legit been... Stop fucking lying to me. He, he was trying to play her. But th- remember, they have that 13-year age gap. And so I feel like he was trying to play little boy games. And she was on that grown woman shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that age gap between them really showed in their relationship. Just how they were handling everything. So that single gunshot wound actually wouldn't have been fatal. But it took the ambulance an hour to get to the club. Because that blizzard had been laying on the city so thick. By the time the ambulance arrived an hour later, he was already dead. She was there for the entire time. She didn't run or anything like that. And then she was arrested and sent to Rikers Island. In April 1972, she pleaded not guilty and she posted bail in May. In 1973, she switched her plea to guilty, second degree manslaughter. And most of what she was sentenced to was unknown. Some people were saying she was in a mental hospital. Some people Her records said, kind of got like... They said they were taken out of the clerk's office. And I'm like, taken by who? Right. And for why? All that's really known is that she was released from wherever after serving two years. 
only two years. Yeah. So, um, sometime after getting out, she goes back by Slugs, the club where uh, he was murdered at. And, you know, she sees all her old jazz people. They're and all her friends. Th- they were. were her friends, right? And I... What a person it is to go around here. Because I would just want to avoid everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And there were people up there who were interviewed. And they was like, I thought about what I would do when I saw her again. You know, she took my friend away from me. And I just thought about all this stuff I would do. Said, I saw her. And just the remorsefulness that she had. I couldn't do anything but forgive her. Like, you could see it hurt her as much as it hurt all the rest of us, you know. Like, he's like, I I couldn't do nothing but forgive her. Just, I, I wanted to be mad and couldn't. Yeah. So, after that, she moved back to Wilmington, and she was devoted to the church until her death of 1996. Now, when I say devoted for the church, it's not like she became some huge religious woman. Right. She felt like she needed to do something good with her life. So, she sang in the choir, Mm -hmm. and she did her tithes and kind of, you know... I think she was just trying to be redeemed and forgiven. Like, I really took a whole ass life out here. And not just any old life, a life that I loved. Right, you know? that she really cared of. It All because emotion. Mm-hmm. All right, so now it is time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have gotten away with it. Oh, that. Why am I thinking we don't review that? That's why I'm like, what are you doing? <sighs> okay, I didn't do it, but if I did... Oh, my God. I just feel like being a hothead, you probably shouldn't carry a gun in your purse. If if we're if we're on these intense emotions, you know what I'm saying? But it, she didn't have the gun because she was a hothead. She went to that bar because she knew the way she stormed in there with the doors flying open. She was on some hothead shit. You know what I'm saying? Some people, she just, you're one bad day away from a murder, and he tried her that bad day. days, you could save yourself a murder if you don't pack the weapon. You can always find a weapon at a bar. You could, but I think it'd have been better off if he got smashed with a bottle than shot by a gun. I didn't do it, but if I did, I would have gotten legally married to him. First of all, common law is not really acknowledged by a lot of people, especially now. Nigga, it's acknowledged by the fucking law. That's why it's called common law marriage. If I'm with you 10 years, I've got rights, nigga. This says no minimum amount of time. That's weird. A couple could live together for one day and be considered common law married if they agree to be married and hold themselves as such. So all you got to do is say we together and you basically wifey. And I'm taking your ass to court. Call me wifey too many times and try and play me. Well, you know what? That one time that... Ah, uh, man, I might not put this on the air. And the police were like, you can't kick her out. It don't matter if she don't pay bills. <laughs> yes. The police were like, you can't bum- k- A victim bum-ass niggas is hard, yo. Because <laughs> if I'm living here like this is my home, you're not allowed to I'm snatch like, my home away from me. I'm like, nigga, I got a sock drawer. Like, you can't do it. That's what I'm saying. It don't matter That's who acknowledges it. The law acknowledges it. That's why I, like, <laughs> I can't just be moving in with motherfuckers like, Cause I I have rights. I have rights, and you're gonna be upset when I when I use them. <laughs> when I invoke those <laughs> rights. <laughs> yeah, man. People are like, oh, I want to live with you. I want to live with you. No, mm-hmm. no, no, you don't. Because mm-hmm. I'm cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Listen, you better ask somebody. In Georgia, you either have to be there 30 days or receive mail. Mail come quick. It it ta- it takes no time to change that address. Mail comes quick. Okay. All you have to do is pay that $1 service fee. Trust me, I know. <laughs> it's really our show. I it definitely it's sad that Lee was really getting back on his feet and he was 
starting to reach new heights in his career before he was taken away. I think it's sad, and I don't think there's any good answer. It's just the breaks, right? But, like, she put all this work into him, just for him. Like, when he was down and out. Problem was that, like, he was fine being with her. The problem is him. He used to, you was fine being with her when I need when he needed her. But now that he was back on top and could take care of himself, now all of that's gone. Mm-hmm. And it ain't nothing you can do about it. Like, I mean, the best thing is to get away from a nigga that don't love you for real. You know what I mean? But it hurts because it's not like this was some short thing. She put years into Ten it. years. Years into this nigga for you to act like I'm nothing. When a woman's fed up, there ain't nothing you can do about it. Just like falling out of love, and it's too late to talk about it. <laughs> parole or no parole, friend? She out. She out. That was quick, too. She, two years. I don't know what the hell she did, but I'll take it. She finessed. I really wish I could know. Uh, listen, tell me what to do. Right. I need to know. Share with the <laughs> For listeners. research purposes. Okay. She's, of course, passed on. But, like, I wish we could get a little bit of... what. Let us know. But... I, I hate that her interview didn't finish. I bet she had some more shit to tell. Oh, I bet she did. That's why you get good lawyers like our sponsor this week. All right. Um, I think that's all we have. Let's go ahead and read some reviews. Oh, my, my. Says, love it. I found y'all on TikTok and said, let me tune in. Once I listened, I was hooked. I knew Taz was a Scorpio. Me too, girl. 11-11. That's one day before my supposed due date. I was supposed to be born on the 12th. Uh, we definitely react the same way. The same energy is definitely giving what it's supposed to have gave. Keep up the amazing work, sisters. I'm just trying to be real, man. They out here wilding. I know. All right. This one is from Jiggly Jada. Jiggly Jada, I that's love what, that shit. Okay, that's what I'm t- I was like, I bet she looked good in some shorts. <laughs> Jiggly Jada says, "Hey, I was wondering if you guys could do a few stories about some West Coast girls, if there are any. I just wanted to compare the difference in the justice system, which I'm sure there are some cases that we have on the list from the West Coast. Also, send nobody, in some. Can, yeah, definitely send in some. Ain't nobody killing like the Midwest girls. Clearly." We need to find us a black cowgirl. That'll be fun. <gasps> Ooh. So, um, yeah, that's it. Thank you guys so much for everybody that came to our first live chat with you all. Tazzy was so nervous. Ooh. I was so nervous. We are so grateful for everybody that has donated to the Tech Fund and continues to donate to the Tech Fund. We have finally started, you know, getting new equipment. It doesn't. It's on its way. It's not here this week. So hopefully things will slowly but surely start to improve. But we are not there yet. We have not reached our goal. And there's still quite a few things that we need to make sure that this production is going to be absolutely amazing for you every single week. So make sure that you give it in the tech fund. The description, the link is in the description box of the podcast. Yeah, if you want to hang out with us, you can email Tazzy. If you want to talk to us. If you want to oh, <laughs> hang out with us. <laughs> no, you cannot hang out with us. We do not trust you all. Freaking weirdos. Um, but if you want to talk to us, you can email us at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at sisterswhokillpod, on Twitter at sisterswhokill, on Instagram at sisterswhokillpodcast, and join the discussion group where we just get into it in there, okay? Uh, Tazzy, you have anything else to say? <laughs> talk to us. We talk back. All right. Peace. <laughs>